Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Welcome to our podcast series addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but were afraid to ask. Len, I have to chuckle. I see that the the title today of uh, of of your podcast is "The Devil Really Is in the Details," and we're talking more about CRA. You've covered a myriad of topics over the last uh, uh, several months, uh, talking about CRA from uh, from the uh, uh, notice of ru- uh, uh, proposed rulemaking um, to the rescinding of that to reverting back to old rules. Uh, so what are we going to focus on today? <laughs> well, Dean, if we haven't confused people enough, I thought we might even potentially at least address areas of confusion today, uh, areas that are of frequent confusion. And while these topics or these items might be considered to be wonky, the devil really is in the details. Sometimes little things can get you into big trouble very fast. So I thought it would be good to cover the following topics to help our audience stay out of CRA trouble. First, I'd like to talk about loan participations, the the difference between CRA and HMDA, and the different ways loan participations are handled for small business loans and small farm loans versus how they're reported for community development loans. Then I want to move on to topic number two, which would be loan renewals. Exactly what is a renewal as defined for CRA purposes and how it compares to the term as it is commonly used for commercial lending particularly lines of credit. And then the third little uh, detail I want to get into that can cause big problems is the difference between how tracked income class is determined and how borrower income class is derived. Yeah, CRA is confusing enough. So I I think this is going to be extremely uh, helpful uh, for our audience and and, and, uh, especially with, uh, with your expert advice on how to avoid some of those common CRA mistakes and misunderstandings. Okay, so I'm going to begin with how loan participations are reported and evaluated. There is a very big difference between CRA and HMDA with respect to loan participations. For HMDA purposes, there is no such thing as a reported loan participation. You either report the entire loan or you don't report the loan at all under HMDA. Only the processing bank gets credit under HMDA no matter how large your participation. However, if you purchase the loan, you will get credit for the entire amount of loan. So it's an all or nothing approach under HMDA with respect to loan participations. But for CRA, you do report loan participations. However, how they are reported is potentially very confusing because loan participations under CRA are handled very differently between small business loans and small farm loans versus community development loans. Surprisingly to many bankers, surprising to many bankers is that a small uh, community, small business or small farm participation is reported for the entire amount of the loan by both the originating bank and the participating bank. During CRA evaluations, examiners will adjust loan participations to reflect the actual participation amount. But for reporting purposes, the entire loan is reported. 
This contrasts significantly from the reporting of community development loans under CRA. When you report a participation under CRA in a community development loan, you report only the amount you participated in, not the full amount as you would for small business and small farm loans. So to sum up loan participations, unlike Humda, you do report loan participations for CRA purposes. But what you report under CRA is very different between community development loans and small business and small farm loans. So be careful you report the correct amounts. So what about the loans that are renewed per se under CRA? That's another highly technical area, but has a very big impact. And again, there's a very big difference between HUMDA and CRA when it comes to renewals. For HUMDA purposes, loan renewals are not reported at all. However, for CRA purposes, small business loans, small farm loans, and community development loans that are renewed are reported. But there is a highly technical definition of what constitutes a renewal for CRA purposes. And that definition is not consistent with the use of the term renewal as it is normally applied to commercial lending purposes. Typically in commercial lending, a renewal refers to a line of credit that is extended beyond the original commitment expiration, usually annually. In many cases, that involves a commercial line of credit that banks will secure a loan with, uh, with liens on business assets like receivables and inventory. The problem is that anytime a loan is rewritten, the continuity of the security interest is disrupted and intervening lien holders may secure a position that is superior to a bank's interest. Asset-based lenders get around this impediment by using a demand note in the full amount of the line of credit. That way, the original note is not replaced and the continuity of the security interest is preserved. But for CRA purposes, for a loan to be a renewal, the maturity of the underlying note must be extended. Since, a de since demand notes don't have a maturity date, they're callable on demand, there is no extension of the maturity date and the loan is not qualified as a renewal for CRA purposes. This results, in my opinion, in significant underreporting of loans to small businesses. And consequently, many banks may not be getting credit uh, for CRA activity for much of their true small business lending. So although renewals of lines of credit or loans callable on demand are not reportable under CRA, a bank can collect that activity and record it under CRA loan type three, other loans lines of credit. This data is not submitted with the annual CRA filing, but it is retained in the microdata file where it can be retrieved and provided to examiners for CRA consideration and examination purposes. In that way, a bank may still receive credit for its unreported small business and small farm lending. So, if your bank is extending a significant volume of small business loans secured by UCC filings against uh, business assets, you can get some credit for examination purposes for renewals of those facilities if you have collected and documented that activity and then presented to examiners. So don't lose out on this opportunity to give the true accurate picture of your lending uh, if you're engaged in a significant amount of renewals of lines of credit secured by UCC filings. Yeah, you've covered the first de two devilish details uh, for sure, Len. Uh, what's the third topic you're going to discuss uh, relative to this? Well, Dean, the last uh, important detail I want to discuss today is the concept of income class as it is applied to census tracts, 
as opposed to how it is applied to mortgage and consumer borrowers. Everyone who knows anything about CRA understands that key performance measures include lending in low and moderate income tracks and lending to low and moderate income borrowers. But many CRA officers get confused about how these performance indicators are determined. There are two pieces of data needed to determine borrower income class. The first is obvious, it's the borrower's income. But the second critical data component is called the FFIEC estimated median family income. Technically, it's field 14 in the demographic file that's released by the FFIEC annually. Uh, and it's updated and published usually in mid-year. The borrower's income on any loan purchase application is then divided by the EMFI, and the resulting percentage is compared to intervals of 50%, 80%, and 120% to arrive at the borrower's income class. The tracked income class, however, is not determined by the annual EMFI. Rather, it is determined by the dividing the tracked median family income by the median family income of the MSA or MD, Metropolitan Division, or statewide non-MSA in which the track is located. Both components are determined and fixed by the decadal census data and are not adjusted except when the five-year ACS is implemented or when the Office of the Management and Budget, OMB, changes the definition or the delineation of MSAs, which can happen in any given year, but does not always happen every year. The changes every five years and any change in any year potentially will affect tracked income class of all tracks. This has important implications, including your public file maps that must be changed at least every five years. By the way, incidentally, in years ending in two and seven, and any year in which an MSA or a metropolitan division was changed by Office of Management in the budget. Many bankers assume that the only time the attract income class changes is with the decadal census and therefore fail to update their assessment area maps. Even the most recognized CRA software vendor failed to update their tracked income class determinations for 2019 when two new MSAs were adopted and four metropolitan divisions were changed. We strongly recommend you determine if any changes were made to the MSAs or metropolitan divisions in your state. And if there are changes, you should review how tracked income classes in your assessment areas may have been affected. And by the way, even those of our listeners who are in non-metropolitan areas may see your tracked income class change by any changes in the MSAs or metropolitan divisions in your state, because those changes could add to or reduce the tracks in the statewide non-MSA and thereby require a recalibration of census tract income class for any tracks in those rural areas. So don't be surprised if a middle income tract becomes a moderate or low income tract under those circumstances. And if you have targeted your bank's low and moderate income tract penetration rates, which you should do if you're proactively managing your CRA performance, you should confirm that you are using the updated and correct tract in income class inf determinations so that you know you're using the right data and targeting the right tracks. Every time I hear the words Humda in CRA, it sends chills down my spine. But uh, I certainly think that you have proven your point today that the devil is certainly in the details. And those details can have a significant impact on a bank's overall CRA performance.
this has been extremely valuable for our audience today, Glenn, uh, Len, excuse me. I, I'm getting tongue twisted already um, <laughs> as we close out this, uh, this podcast for today. But uh, again, very informative information. And I know our audience appreciates it. This is Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting. And this is Len Suzio with GeoDataVision saying thank you for listening to today's topic on critical CRA mistakes. The devil really is in the details. Please let us know of any topics you would like to hear us touch upon in future podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.